The hour to which the podcast adjourned having arrived, the podcast is now in order. Let's gavel in for this week's State House Takeout with the reporters on top of Beacon Hill at the State House News Service. Here's Sam Doran. Well, quite a week for takeout. So here we are on the takeout, and uh, we spent Wednesday night into the wee hours uh, up here on Beacon Hill as the legislature wrapped up their final formal sessions of 2019. And out in the hallway were little rubbish bins full of Florina pizza boxes and other uh, takeout paraphernalia, if you will. Uh, And uh, here to recap uh, some of what we saw happen and some of what uh, didn't get over the finish line and didn't happen on on Wednesday night is uh, Chris Lisinski, Katie Lannon, and Matt Murphy. Hi, friends. Hello. Hi, friend. So uh, there were three big bills that um, that the House and Senate were able to, uh, yeah, three, <laughs> that the House and Senate were able to uh, get to a, a deal on and, and send over to the governor on Wednesday. I can't believe you're relegating the children's health bill to sub-big bill. O- okay, all right. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Some of those land takings were really important to, to the individual lawmakers involved. 11 bills total, I'll, uh, I'll say. I oh, counted. Really? All right. Um, any sick leave banks also? Oh, yeah, they're in the 11. All right. Uh, <laughs> Don't ask me to name all 11. <laughs> <laughs> so we do have these three big bills, uh, school funding, the uh, vaping and flavored tobacco bill, and hands-free while driving, uh, or the distracted driving bill. Does the accomplishment with those three big pieces of legislation outweigh the failure to get to yes on a final fiscal 19 budget bill? Or uh, what do we think of that? I think finishing those three bills ahead of the recess certainly makes the first half of this uh, 2019-2020 session look a lot more productive. But no, I, I don't think it absolves them of not getting that budget bill done on time. That's a must do. It's not a Uh, we'd like to do item on their agenda. And it's also something that can't really wait until January. We'd actually have to restart the whole process if they were to uh, come, uh, you know, the ball would drop on New Year's Eve and that bill isn't done. So that's still something very much that needs to happen. And, you know, I think it's worth noting, too, not to detract from the the importance and the significance of getting the education funding bill to the governor's desk. That is a, a momentous accomplishment here. It's been years in the making, but that is still more of the the picked up pieces of last session and it's uh the the subject of a lawsuit so there certainly was impetus here to get that done sure chris the flavor ban too had a, a impetus of its own that's clearly something new that's not picked up pieces from last session but there's a lot of interest in getting some kind of piece of legislation to the governor's desk before his temporary ban on all vaping products expires on December 24th lawmakers had to have done that by Wednesday if they wanted to send over a, a bill before that ban expires it was uh, interesting to hear some lawmakers reactions after adjournment on Wednesday night or Thursday morning, as the case may be. Um, And the Senate had also taken action on a plastic bag ban bill that uh, was occasioned, um, I think, by a trip that the Senate president made to a Vancouver aquarium this summer. Um, But And and we we can dive more into that, but uh, uh, the minority leader, after adjournment, pointed to that bill and the vaping bill that you just mentioned, Chris, um, and said it was interesting, Matt, that they took action on these two newer topics without first doing their statutorily obligated uh, closeouts up. 
Well, 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 Sam. I'm well, well, glad well. you brought that up because, yes, the, the minority leader you're talking about is Senator Bruce Tarr of Gloucester, who we did talk to after uh, the session and asked him about the failure to get uh, the, the closeout budget bill done. And um, unlike his, pre- his uh, compatriot in the House who uh, blamed House and Senate Democratic leadership, uh, Tarr said that he thought it was a systemic failure uh, to get this done. He didn't want to assign partisan blame. But then he went on to suggest that perhaps their focus had been on these two bills that he said kind of came up out of nowhere. Uh, the vaping uh, ban, which kind of sprung to the forefront with the governor's emergency regulations and the whole health crisis around vaping. Uh, but then the plastic bag ban is well, he lumped into that, which uh, sort of uh, cropped up out of nowhere when the Senate threw it on the agenda for this final session. And I don't know how much of a distraction it was if if people's uh, eyes were taken off the ball and couldn't get the sup done while they were also doing those other. That is something that Tar suggested uh, in those uh, early morning hours. And where did that plastic bag bill come from? Well, it came out of Senate Ways and Means, much to the chagrin of House Democratic leadership because uh, the two chairs of the Environment Committee, uh, Reps Mindy Pignatelli and Senator Ann Gobi, had been working on this issue, had uh, written a committee bill, and that bill had been sent over uh, to the House Ways and Means Committee where uh, the House thought it was in control of its destiny. Uh, And then the uh, Senate just took a a completely separate piece of legislation, uh, substituted in some bag ban language, and and put it on the floor. And uh, while, uh, you know, Senator Mike Rodriguez, Chair Ways and Means, in the Senate said that he was comfortable with the process, uh, the House certainly was not. Nor was, can I add, the Senate's Environment Committee Chair, Ann Gobi, who tried to get the Senate to adopt an amendment replacing that version with the version that had gone out of her committee and ultimately voted against the bill itself because she felt that it was not proper to circumvent uh, that committee's work, was I think how she put it. On the same page with her House co-chairman there. And I think this is going to be a, an interesting thing to to watch or kind of keep eyes out for in the future, because this is the, the second kind of procedural spat, um, if you will, to differing degrees of significance that we've seen between the House and Senate just in this recent time period, because there is there. It wasn't until Wednesday night that we saw the, the dispute over which vehicle for the closeout SUP get resolved when they the, the Senate voted on it again. That was a, a big question in addition to the content of the bill was the the physical matter of what bill itself. Yeah, entirely a process argument. I think Chairman Pignatelli actually said that this has nothing to do with the policy, which he actually supports as evidenced by the fact that he helped write the committee bill. It had, you know, he has no objections to the Senate passing a bill to ban single-use plastic bags. He just doesn't like the idea that the Senate thinks uh, it can uh, take any piece of legislation and turn it into whatever it wants and and in in doing so circumvent the committee process, which has become sort of this, you know, sacrosanct institution up here uh, when leaders want it to be. Sure. But, but we've we've seen before in, in past sessions, I guess, kind of the, the Senate have some sort of grievances about the committee process because the, the House with more members does control those committees. We've seen the, the pattern of, of Senate working groups being used to kind of produce their own legislation and that go to Senate Ways and Means. So it is it is something that they they point to a lot. We hear a lot about letting the committee process play out, but they're... I guess it doesn't always. It does in some cases, though, like with this education bill. And and let's just start with that one as we tick through where the cards fell on these big three compromises 
of this week. Uh, and it, it seems like such a long time ago, but was it Monday that we had that fire alarm? No. <laughs> no. What day was it? It was Tuesday. 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 Yeah. Tuesday. The it hasn't been a long week, has it, Sam? Ha- I don't know. Has it? <laughs> it? It was a long Wednesday. <laughs> it, it, it was, and that threw everything else off. But it was Tuesday, just as the branches were about to convene at 11, just yes. as there were hearings getting underway with big crowds in the building, and just as you were heading down to the Senate clerk's office where... I was in the Senate clerk's ah. office at 10.55 Wednesday morning. <laughs> When uh, staff from the Education Committee arrived with their compromise bill and bells started ringing. Um, Celebratory bells or? Evacuate bells. Ah. (laughs) Evacuation (laughs) bells. The fire alarm started going off. Um, Some renovation work down in the Treasury. And it was a it was a real interesting moment because, you know, the staff kind of led the way with the bill, the the compromise bill signed by all six conferees and. At least a, a few of them were right right there behind them. Uh, chairs Paish and Lewis and, and Rep. Paul Tucker were coming down the stairs as well and then going right back down the other side of stairs to get out of the building like everyone else when the fire alarms started going off. And actually there was an, an interesting moment where before evacuating the building, Senator Lewis checked with a, a staffer to make sure double check confirm be absolutely positive that the bill that they'd been working on you know in one way or another for months actually did get filed that it was officially in the clerk's hands you know the conference committee was done with it because he he was nervous that uh i guess to do my own bad pun here i'm not gonna attribute this to him but nervous that it would all go up in smoke um but it didn't, thankfully. And uh, so we caught up with uh, Chairs Peich and Lewis down under the arch on Mount Vernon Street and uh, just run us through a couple of uh, details where, where things landed, like on the accountability language. Yeah, I mean, that's the accountability language is the big one. The, the main that is the big one that the committee had to settle the, the main financials of the bill, the $1.4 billion in, in Chapter 70 money, $1.5 billion total price tag, the seven-year timeline, the, the way the bill deals with concentrations of low-income students. All of that has remained unchanged from the bill that came out of the committee initially back in, gosh, was it September? Um, and the, the change really came in when the Senate took up the bill. They, they added that kind of local control inspired measure to um, in, in, in dealing with the achievement gap closing plans. And the House stuck with what had really been the committee's language that allowed the, the education commissioner to send back and require changes be made to, to plans after he reviewed them. They took what, um, ultimately took what both uh, Representative Peich and Senator Lewis said struck a balance between the House and Senate language. They can still, the state education department can still send the plans back, require changes. There is, it looks like a narrowing of the wording Hmm. in the, in the circumstances in which those changes could be required that some, some advocates did say they noticed it's, the differences between deemed not in compliance to deemed not to conform with the provisions of this bill. So, all right, I 
If you're a lawyer and it makes a difference to you, I, I'd love to have a lawyer walk me through the significance of that wording change, but it did seem noteworthy. And the other thing is from the, the Senate piece, they took some of the language requiring the, the school district to collaborate with outside stakeholders or out of the central office stakeholders, at least, you know, parent advisory councils, school committee educators when they're preparing that plan. Sure. So that was the big thing a lot of folks were watching with that bill. Yeah. And we think the governor's still watching it. Um, (laughs) He said on the radio yesterday he hasn't read the bill, but uh, he's read, you know, news coverage of it and seen the words, but is uh, we're still looking to see what he uh, ultimately thinks of it. Sure. And Chris, on the so-called flavor ban bill, which also imposes a hefty excise tax, 75% excise tax on vaping equipment. Um, uh, what does the governor think of how that bill turned out? You know what? He also wants to read that bill. Does that was he? his answer yesterday <laughs> in a, a couple different public appearances to every way reporters could think to throw him a question about whether he was going to sign any of these bills. Um, that being said, you know, the administration obviously ordered a, a temporary ban on all vaping products. So this arena is definitely one that he's um, he's got a big role in and has been on his radar for a long time. Um, he said, uh, you know, without endorsing the bill, he did mention that parents and school administrators have come up to him and cited flavored tobacco products as a reason that a lot of uh, a lot of teenagers in schools are becoming hooked on nicotine at such a young age so um, whether you want to read that as uh, support for what the legislature sent him i will leave up to you but uh he's definitely got it on his radar and you were actually just speaking of vaping you were over at the uh, dph hearing earlier today on those emergency regulations yeah, yeah, yeah. A uh, pretty packed room. This was, I think, the only public hearing that's actually going to happen for these emergency regulations before they're set to expire on December 24th. Um, I was there for a good hour and a half and in that span heard nothing but criticism for these regulations from vape shop owners who are being uh, Uh, seeing major impacts to their businesses, possibly even being run out of business, and lots of vape users who argued that this was the only way they were able to quit smoking traditional cigarettes was by by using vape products that have now been taken off shelves. Now that flavor ban bill on on Wednesday night didn't actually go to conference, but there was sort of a a speed conference process, if you will, to work out differences between the House and the Senate uh, and, and, and quickly get that through. Matt, uh, I know you were following it uh, Wednesday night. What what sort of differences did they have to work out? The two big pieces in the bills that were different were uh, some language around confiscation and also the effective dates. So people were watching closely. The House had included some language that would allow uh, authorities to confiscate someone's car, uh, even if they were caught trafficking these products after the ban went into effect. That was uh, taken out of the bill. And then there was the question of the effective dates, whether or not everything should wait until June 1, whether or not it should take effect immediately. Where they settled was the flavored vaping products, the the oil cartridges, those will be banned immediately. So take that together with the governor's vaping ban. Uh, if he signs it, uh, you know, flavored vapes, the bubblegum vapes, the strawberry vapes will never come back on the shelves in Massachusetts. But the flavored tobacco products will still be sold until June 1. And that includes uh, menthol cigarettes, which was included in this ban. And, uh, you know, we know that the governor, well, we don't know what the governor thinks about this bill in particular. We know he supports the idea of taxing e-cigarettes. He's filed his own uh, proposed tax. He supports getting rid of flavored vaping products and flavored tobaccos. He's uh, said as much in public interviews. The big question out there is what he thinks about menthol. 
And Chris, compare the process for working out House and Senate versions of that bill, that sort of unofficial speed conference, with with, uh, the longest watched bill out of all these, which was the distracted driving bill that went into conference back in June, I think. And you've been asking the two chairmen, Strauss and Boncori, um, since June, (laughs) when's this going to happen? So uh, the compromise finally came out, um, sent to the governor's desk. Um, was it apparent to you from looking through the final version uh, what they might have been hung up on all this time? Well, it, we had gotten hints earlier that the, the major hang-up in this was the, the secondary portion of this bill focusing on updating uh, data collection requirements at traffic stops. Both versions of the bill had virtually identical language banning the use of handheld devices behind the wheel for all purposes rather than just for texting, uh, updating a state law that had been unenforceable. Where they differed was on whether to require uh, police to track demographic data at all traffic stops or only traffic stops ending in citations and what exactly should be done with that data as a way to monitor for racial or gender profiling anything unfair like that so after five plus months of negotiations one agreement that almost was successful before falling apart they finally settled on some terms somewhere in the middle of those two polls uh, and released it uh, Monday and not to forget some some other bills that that wound their way through the branches Uh, Katie I know you mentioned the children's health Healthcare bill, and uh, there was also uh, that campaign finance reform bill. As the director of the uh, state's campaign finance uh, regulatory office, Michael Sullivan is preparing to retire after a quarter century uh, in that position. Uh, there was some question over how his successor would be picked, and uh, that seemed to be the big thing that that the House and Senate had to work out, Matt. Yeah, that was the big disagreement. Uh, this uh, Primarily, this bill is about overhauling uh, the campaign finance reporting structure for uh, candidates for legislative office, current sitting members of the House and Senate, and uh, mayors as well. They're all going to move into what is known to you know campaign finance geeks as the depository reporting system. But basically, we're going to see a lot more reporting from legislative candidates uh, more frequently rather than uh, just the like twice a year that they currently uh, report in off-election years. And uh, that was uh, pretty much unanimously agreed to. The question that was outstanding was the House proposal to overhaul how the director of OCPF is hired. And uh, to get this deal done before the recess, uh, the House kind of backed off and uh, this was completely dropped. So uh, the party chairs, uh, the heads of the Democratic and Republican parties who currently sit on the committee that uh, chooses the state's top campaign finance regular, reg, the state's top campaign finance regulator will remain a part of the process moving forward. And I'd watch uh, to see a a date from Michael Sullivan soon. Uh, The last I checked in with him, he was hoping to see this bill get done and then he was going to make his own plans. Yeah, I I know he's going to be on WBUR, I think, on Monday. Well, there you go. We could have an announcement right there. We'll, We'll tune in. All right, well, let's close out this week with the closeout, the closeout supplemental budget, that is. Uh, And once again, maybe for the last week, I don't know, we'll ask what's up with the SUP. Um, The the House is still uh, holding their session open. I I think they're still open right now. It's nearing 4 o'clock on Friday, um, waiting to see if there's any movement uh, with that bill, which was due at the end of October to close the books on a fiscal year that ended at the end of June. Um, What are our thoughts here? 
Well, I mean, the the same way we can see a, a recess galvanization and, and make deals a little easier to reach, we can sometimes see a, a holiday make deals a little easier to reach. Um, so people and staff and, and lawmakers don't have to be here over Thanksgiving. That's a possibility. But I mean, at, at this point, having blown past the uh, the end of formal sessions for the year, I don't know if I would uh, go out on that limb and predict that's going to happen. And Katie alluded to it earlier that they removed one of these procedural hurdles to getting this bill done on Wednesday. The Senate uh, kind of revoted a bill, sent it back over to the House. That enabled them to get into these formal conference committee talks. But when midnight came in and went and uh, nearly 1 a.m. came and went and they adjourned, uh, this got a whole lot trickier to see how they get this done. We know that there are House progressives who don't want to see uh, a business tax reform uh, included in this bill, and they've been uh, hanging out in the informal sessions for you know a month now, uh, threatening to make a fuss and potentially offer amendments and redebate this uh, corporate tax change. Uh, there are uh, House Republicans who really want to see this uh, in the bill. Uh, they think that uh, failure to do this would just be a, a tax increase on uh, bit small business owners. Uh, so they could potentially throw up a roadblock to trying to get this done if in informal session. In if it isn't in the bill, mm. right, coming from a, a different side. So, uh, yeah, the, the leadership in both the House and Senate have some work to do to get everybody on board. And it really does because we, we don't know what the the proposals the two sides have been exchanging and, and what the discussions have been like. We We don't have a hard answer to any of that. And we really don't know how much work there is left to be done um, before the the bill got into conference Wednesday night before this bill procedural snag got resolved. You know, I I'd been told, and I think other people had heard this as well, that the the House and the Senate, the two sides, were discussing not just the the process issue, but the content of the bill already. And if you know, if they've been talking about that for weeks already, it. I don't know how how close or how far they can they can be at this point. Yeah, and plenty of blame to go around with that statement from the speaker on Wednesday night. Uh, I think it said something to the effect of "We're willing to compromise with anyone who wants to come compromise with us." Yeah, willing to keep talking with anyone who wants to compromise. It wasn't exactly clear who that comment was intended for. It sure seemed like a shot at the Senate since they're the main. Uh, dance partner in the in these negotiations but maybe the speaker was trying to send a message to people like mike Connolly of cambridge and the progressive dems who were uh threatening to gum up a potential deal uh maybe he was talking about the governor uh we don't know but you know, you know it's certainly possible that the governor's indicated things that he's uh, willing to sign or not sign and uh, you know, as as they kind of slide into these informal sessions for the rest of the year, uh, and the fact that spending bills don't carry over into 2020, if the governor wants to veto any of these, get rid of any earmarks, it's totally within his power, and they can't override anything. And there are a lot of earmarks in there now. The there already were, but now it's that More, bo- right. that bottom line has grown. It's over 800 million now, I think, oh. and. I, maybe some of those are, are in there to, to help make deals and help get people on board with something else. But uh, like, like Matt says, you know, not notwithstanding the, the fiscal year budget for, for fiscal 2020, where the governor let all the earmarks stand, he, he's not a big earmark person. All right. Well, that does it for us this week. And uh, the takeout is taking the week off next week in observance of 
Thanksgiving. Too many leftovers to have any takeout. Well, you're right. And, you know, there's also those uh, Thanksgiving dinners they serve at Filibuster early next week. There sure are. <laughs> it's pretty good if you want some more Thanksgiving in your life than you're already getting. Um, <laughs> Plenty of Thanksgiving to go around. <laughs> have a good one. Thanks, folks. Thanks. Sir. Bye. Statehouse Takeout is a production of the Statehouse News Service. And for a daily fix of Statehouse headlines, visit masterlist.com. Masterlist with two S's. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.